This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show as we are getting you through this month of January and one more college football game left as Ohio State will play Alabama, we think on Monday, obviously some COVID things pending, but as of Wednesday, uh, the plan still remains uh, to play that game on Monday. Meanwhile, here at Nebraska, um, you know, some of the big questions r- remain around senior decisions at this point. And the Huskers got a couple of pretty big ones here this week as far as senior guys coming back and then one a junior. But JoJo Dolman, Nebraska's outside linebacker, announced on Saturday that he will be coming back for another year. This will be his sixth season at NU, and he played actually this will be he played in all six years when you count next year as he played in a couple of games as a true freshman in 2016 uh, before going down with an injury so Jojo Doman is coming back uh, for another season at NU um, and you know this is a big piece to the defense when you, when you look at Doman and his value he helped the defense so much this past year with his ability to flex out as a nickel corner but he can still play inside linebacker he's got those cover skills from his former safety days and they translated over very nicely inside the box as a linebacker and I thought they were really highlighted in Nebraska's win at Purdue just the way he contained a guy like Rondell Moore he never let Rondell Moore take over that game despite the fact Purdue continued to go at Rondell um, over 10 times in that game in, in the air and this is a big moment I, I think when you look at the defense in general I think you're going to see a domino effect uh, with a number of these guys potentially coming back we're still waiting on Ben Stilley and Will Honus I think the thought now though is they're both going to return as well on the defensive line and linebacker we know DiCaprio Boodle has already announced his intentions to go to the NFL. And then at safety, Markel Desmuke and Deontay Williams have not announced yet, but I think it actually looks promising for sure on one of the two, and I wouldn't be surprised if both come back. And you, you just look at what that's going to do to change this defense and then the expectations to get you know four or five key starters back with what you already have and the way they played late in the year. I think that's going to take this group a long way. And, you know, I I can't imagine there's going to be as many teams that will benefit with this extra year for seniors as much as Nebraska. Uh, Because typically, you know, a senior guy is going to go on to the NFL. But Nebraska seniors find themselves kind of in this strange spot where they're, they're good but they're maybe not a slam dunk draft pick. And and that's, I think, bringing these guys back to school. And then speaking of staying in school, Cam Taylor-Britt, a third-year corner who was Nebraska's highest decorated player, announced he is coming back for his fourth season at NU. He was second-team All-Big Ten as a corner. By the end of the season, he was playing as well as any corner in the conference and this is big because you lose Boodle, you want to have one guy back. And 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 let's just say you have Taylor Britt, you have Doman in that nickel role, 
Let's say you get Dismuke and Williams back at safety. Then all you really have to worry about is maybe one more defensive back, and that could be Braxton Clark. That could be Quentin Newsom. They have the ability uh, to, to really work a lot of guys in for that other defensive back spot at corner versus having two brand new corners. And when you're starting to look at that schedule and the teams Nebraska plays next year, particularly early on at Oklahoma, you better have some good defensive backs on the field when you're going against the Sooners. So this is going to go uh, a long way with Cam Taylor Britt's decision to return. Then on the transfer portal p- uh, front, one entry this week as of Wednesday, offensive lineman Matthew Anderson, redshirt freshman out of Louisiana, came in at 250 pounds. The thought was, hey, let's put weight on this kid. He'll get up to 290, 300 in a hurry. Well, he's still only listed at 255, and I'm told he's probably well below that right now. Um, So this one, on the surface, you maybe are like, wow, this kid's moving on already, but he just wasn't in the mix. And then when you look at Nebraska's depth chart, they have 11 different freshman offensive linemen on there when you count a guy like Anderson. So you, you knew that some of these Freshman and redshirt freshman offensive linemen, a few of them are going to have to move on. Nebraska took a few developmental chances on a guy like him being one. It didn't work out, and that's what the transfer portal and the one-time transfer rule will do. I'll be curious to where he lands because this is a guy that does not have a 300-pound body, so I don't know what level of college football he'll be able to land at because there just is not really a market for 6'6", 6'7", 250-pound, 245-pound offensive tackle. So you wish Matthew Anderson the best. He's a great kid, uh, had been through a lot with losing his mother um, and and so many things, Uh, but you know, he, he's moving on, and, and we'll see where he ends up. That's the third transfer portal entry since the season has ended, joining Bo Wilson on the O-line, um, and then the other being last week we talked about, Keem Green. As for on the coaching front with the assistant coaches, everything still remains quiet there for Nebraska. No changes have been made. Now the question is, will they? And I think if you were a betting man, I think you have to expect probably one coaching change that will be made somewhere down the line. How that happens, I don't know. Maybe a guy just leaves on his own. Uh, but the reality is you're just going to probably see at least one coaching change a year on almost every coaching staff. That's just how the game is played. But nothing new on that front this week. We did get a volleyball schedule this week, though, from the Big Ten Conference. And, you know, Nebraska – you know, we'll play a league-only schedule. Still no baseball schedule, though. That that one's somewhat surprising. I talked to a few guys tied to the baseball program, and I think the hope right now with the baseball schedule is the other leagues will put out their schedules first with some non-conference games in there, and then that will maybe leave things open for the Big Ten to schedule some non-conference games as well because the early thoughts right now is the Big Ten could potentially play league-only four-game weekend series, which that doesn't really excite very many folks right now. I think some of those non-conference games against teams like Creighton and Kansas State and Wichita State, you know, those those are a big piece to the schedule. And then, you know, you're, you're not going to see those early weekend series where Nebraska goes to Arizona or Texas or somewhere like that more than likely to play somebody. That's just the reality. So we'll probably see a league-only schedule. I think the question is, Will there be room for maybe six midweek games in there, whether that's Creighton and UNO or K-State or Wichita State? I think that's that's the uh, real hope for Will Bolt and his guys that 
the schedule will have some wiggle room in order uh, to play some non-conference games along with the league slate uh, going forward. Well, we got a full show here on tap. We're going to hear from Robin Washett. Nebraska basketball had their game canceled this week or postponed due to COVID-19. Uh, they will not play again until Sunday, so we'll hear from Robin Washett on that. We'll catch up with Nate Klaus on recruiting as we're in the dead period. And then in our next two segments, I'm going to bring in my longtime friend and colleague, Tom Deanhart, formerly of the Big Ten Network, Sporting News, now with Golden Black uh, and covers Purdue exclusively. But we hit on a number of different topics about the league as we'll catch up with Tom Deanhart for two segments here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan now uh, joined by my good friend and longtime colleague, Tom Deanhart, formerly of the Big Ten Network, now with Golden Black, uh, covers Purdue, but hits on a lot of Big Ten topics, Tom. And um, here we are. We're in the offseason uh, for most of us, uh, still Ohio State playing. I want to ask you about that Ohio State game first though how surprised were you with the Buckeyes performance because we we just didn't really see that down the stretch but I think we knew it was a possibility they could play like that and they put it all all together and and uh, completely handled Clemson really in almost every aspect of that game yeah I think it was a big surprise Sean I think anybody uh outside of Columbus Ohio they told you differently you have to be wary I mean nobody saw this coming from the Buckeyes uh we just, first of all, really didn't have much of a sample size for the Buckeyes playing such a truncated season. Uh, no real quality opponents. I mean, Indiana was a nice team, but really, uh, they beat Northwestern, which was, a, which was a solid team. But again, did not look impressive in either of those two games. And then to come out like they did against a favorite Clemson team and not just win, but win in convincing fashion. Uh, convincing fashion, I think, was was a big surprise. And I guess the Buckeyes are justifying their inclusion in the Big Ten title game and beyond with that effort. Now, Sean, they're poised to maybe make a run like they did in 2014 and surprise everybody when they won the national title with Cardale Jones and Ezekiel Elliott. And I wasn't surprised, obviously, with Justin Fields. I wasn't surprised with their offensive line, the way they played. But Trey Sermon rushing for over 200 that might have been what I didn't see coming because Nebraska played them earlier in the year and they actually shut down a lot of the Ohio State running game they didn't the Buckeyes didn't run it well uh to see Sermon just blow up like that on that stage that to me was as big of a surprise as anything yeah he kind of got his start what in the Big Ten title game against the Wildcats when he ran for what over 300 yards I think so kid transfers from Oklahoma and really Master Teague was their top back Sermon steps up and delivers again, first against the Wildcats in Indianapolis and then against the Clemson Tigers. Uh, you have a running back like that, it certainly opens up your passing game. You know, the Buckeyes got Chris Olave back for that Clemson game. Uh, what a playmaker he is, uh, joining the ranks of so many other great Buckeye wideouts of the past. You know, guys like Joey Galloway, you know, and Daryl Boston and those type of guys. So, again, um, Got a big-time receiver, big-time running back. Field showed his grittiness, Sean, by taking that big hit. Grimison coming back, playing through a thumb injury. So the Buckeyes have a lot of mojo going here. Coming into that huge showdown with uh, with with 
you know, Alabama next week. Yeah, and when we go into next week as we're talking to Tom Deanhart, Alabama will have its own fair share of distractions, but it, it feels like this is every year for Nick Saban. Uh, now as offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian is taking the Texas job. I'm sure those Sabans like, here I go again. I got to figure this out again and the distractions. Because uh, I don't care what you say. It's pretty hard probably for Steve Sarkeesian to keep a level of focus knowing he's got – just as big of a job waiting for him in Texas, um, you know, as far as building that program back. But he obviously has to finish things out this week against Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, a lot on his plate. I'm sure some of those assistants, there's already been speculation that those some Bama assistants are going to follow you know, Sarkeesian over to Austin, Texas. So you're right. Um, you, hope, you hope Sarkeesian can stay focused if you're a Bama fan and can get one last win for the program, that would be Sean six national titles in the last 12 years wow. for Alabama. Just, just unbelievable. Sort of like what Nebraska was doing back in the 1990s. Um, so yeah, we'll see if Sarkeesian can navigate his way through it. Great opportunity for him, a story of redemption from a personal standpoint. Uh, didn't work out at USC or Washington. We'll see if he can make Texas matter like Mac Brown did for a while there. And, you know, Bamba sounds like they're going to get Jalen Waddle back, too. So imagine that. <laughs> Jalen Waddle with Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, Najee Harris. I mean, another weapon possibly for a Bama offense that already is off the charts. So the Buckeye defense is going to have its hands full. I want to stick on that Texas job, Tom. How surprised mm-hmm. were you that Texas made that move on Herman when they couldn't get maybe – a guy like Urban Meyer. I mean, I think that was the feel. Like, all right, they're going to make a run at somebody big. They tried Urban Meyer. He turned him down. They make a statement that, you know, basically was a boat of confidence for Tom Herman. He wins the Alamo Bowl, um, which, you know, beating Colorado, I don't think did a lot for anybody. Then they fired him on on January 2nd um, and then replaced him that same day with Sarkeesian. It just, the timeline, you know, it just didn't seem right. I, I think the, 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 the powers that be there obviously said, you know what, we just got to make this move now. He's not our guy, and, and we don't care what it looks like. Yeah, they, they were looking for every any and every excuse to make a change, it sounds like. Four known bowl games for Herman. You know, his overall record at Texas was very good. Certainly didn't merit getting fired. Um, yes, he hadn't really taken the program consistently to the next level, but, but again, things looked like they were trending well. Didn't get Urban Meyer. You referenced the, the, the vote of confidence, so to speak, or the statement from Chris Delicante, the Texas AD. It was a little bit, a little bit of a tepid uh, statement, not, not full force support for Tom Herman. And then it fast forward a few days, and, of course, he loses his job. I don't know about you, Sean. This, I mean, while Sarkeesian has done a nice job, I, I don't know if he's that big of an upgrade over Tom Herman. I don't know. He's not Urban Meyer. Like I said, he didn't get it done at Washington or USC. You know, he had alcohol issues back, and back in those days, he's been clean and sober for a while. But, uh, my gosh, to blow everything up after four years ago with Sarkeesian, to me, you wonder how excited and energized the Texas fan base really is over the move. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to wrap your hands around because, you know, Tom Herman, you know, you hear the grumblings that he, he was kind of a, a guy that had some off-the-field things, too, similar to Sarkeesian. I mean, Zach Smith, his former colleague, tweets about him every yeah. day still on Twitter. Um, so yeah. it, to go, you know, and, and, and credit Steve Sarkeesian, he's obviously cleaned his life up. But it just, yeah, it, I, I, it, it just seems like, on December one, if you told them we're going to hire Steve Sarkeesian, I think a lot of Longhorn fans would be like, "No way, we're not, we're not doing that move yeah. or this move." But 
they, they made their bed. And, um, you know, I, I think in the Big 12, it's a lot easier to make up ground there because of the talent you have on your roster. That's not a deep league. I mean, you can catch up with Iowa State in one offseason. I mean, yeah, Matt Campbell's done a good job there. But Texas can get right back in that deal pretty quickly. Yeah, not a, not a real big mountain to scale. You're exactly right. You know, Texas Tech, Texas Christian. Um, of course, Oklahoma is the 10,000-pound gorilla that you're always going to chase uh, if you're Texas or anybody else in that, that conference. And that's, that's the beast that Texas wants to become, Sean. Um, seemingly never can get over the hump, though, you know. They've had some flashes of brilliance the last 25 or 30 years, but they've never had a consistent run of dominance like other blue bloods like USC and Florida you know, obviously Alabama, Ohio State, programs of that ilk, I think Texas would like to associate itself with. But again, they've never been able to have that, that type of success for an extended stretch, not even Oklahoma. They really can't hand, even hold a candle at Oklahoma, Sean. Um, is Lincoln Riley, uh, I mean, I should say Steve Sarkeesian really a better coach than Lincoln Riley? I don't know. So, uh, again, it's going to be fascinating to see what Sarkeesian can do in Austin, Texas. And then I wanted to wrap this segment up here, Tom, with you on Big Ten Bowl games. Did anything jump out to you about the other Big Ten Bowl games? Wisconsin's win over Wake Forest, Indiana's loss to Ole Miss, Northwestern's win over Auburn. Um, what really jumped out to you if you had to kind of come with one or two takeaways from those games? I, I guess just the overall you know, winning percentage, only losing one of those games. Um I never want to put too much stock in any of these bowl games, honestly. You always wonder who really wants to be there, what motivation is, what players have opted out. But still, overall, you have to be happy if you're a Big Ten fan with only losing one game. Um, you know, if you want to take a negative spin on it, Sean, <laughs> maybe it was Indiana loss. First of all, the flap was covering up the Big Ten logo. <laughs> on their helmet, on their too. Jerseys. <laughs> and then, of course, the statement from Tom Allen trying to explain it. It was, you know, was, kind of it was, probably, it, it was intentional. There's no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> it was, but it's, it's great fuel for, for, uh, for, for people like you and I to talk about. And, you know, losing that old Miss team that was four and five, that was compromised offensively. I think their top two receivers, their top uh, tight end, I think running back were all out. They still found a way to beat IU in that, that defense. So disappointing way for the Hoosiers to end a historic season. Uh, again, for Northwestern, Sean, pretty cool to see them win again. Mike Hankwist, the D.C., to go out with a victory in his last game there, too. And then, of course, Wisconsin. I thought I saw you retweeted. <laughs> I think the highlight there was, was dropping the trophy <laughs> and seeing it shatter on the floor after the game. Yeah, it was one of those games where the Badgers were losing, but you just never felt like they were going to lose. I mean, they just kind of woke up, and, and their dominance just took that game over on defense. Yeah, so it's going to be fun next year. we got plenty of time to talk about 2021 to see if they can get that program back on track. It was a real off year for the Badgers, especially on offense. They never really had that big-time running back established. Graham Mertz looked like he was going to be a Heisman contender and then sort of fell off the map. So it's going to be very interesting to watch that program and how it develops and reemerges next year if it does. All right, we're going to come back and continue this conversation with Tom Deanhart. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. 
This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Get on into Tanner's, watch all the football action this weekend into Monday. I was in there uh, for the Ohio State game, actually uh, on New Year's night, and it, it was it was hopping. Lots of people uh, taking in the, the good food and watching the games on TV. So get on into Tanner's. 30th and Yankee Hill. It is your premier South Lincoln sports bar. But let's pick up back up here um, with Tom Deanhart here, our guest uh, on the Husker Online show this week. Tom, I wanted to g- get into the coaching carousel, um, particularly with assistant coaches in general. It just seems like things are a little slower this year. Um, it could be pandemic-driven. It could be there just aren't a lot of jobs open. Um, it also just seems like people wait now until far away from signing day uh, to solidify rosters before uh, they make some of these changes. I mean, what what is your take on you know maybe how slow it has been on the carousel front? Well, yeah, you're right. From a head coaching standpoint, most of these jobs are filled. Um, you know, Big Ten wise, obviously we saw Beatham get the job at Illinois. He's starting to assemble his staff. We've seen some names already announced as hires in Champaign. Um, of course, all the Jim Harbaugh speculation, right, Sean? Um, uh, word is the contract has basically been drawn up. Like I, th- I think it's a five-year deal. Um, but here's the big but. He hasn't signed it yet. And he's back in Ann Arbor. So people, of course, are, are naturally saying, well, as these NFL jobs open up, uh, maybe he still wants to kick the tires on some of those before he signs his Michigan deal. As we know, Sean, there's a lot of NFL jobs that have opened up the last few days. So that's something we're all going to continue to monitor. Now, as far as assistant coaches go, yeah, I mean, we've seen some, some help wanted signs put up for defensive coordinators. You know, Purdue needs one. Michigan needs one. Uh, Northwestern needs one as well. So uh, we've seen some dribs and drabs there from assistant coaching standpoint. So it's always fun to see how these things unfold and watch this carousel spin. Are you buying any of the talk that Pat Fitzgerald could be looked at by the NFL? Sure, I, I certainly think so. Uh, other teams have kicked the tires on him in the past, the Green Bay Packers and I in particular. Um, I think if you're an NFL owner or GM, you'd like to talk to Pat. Uh, maybe Pat wants to scratch that itch. Most people think he's not going to leave Evanston except for one job, and that would be the Chicago Bears job. And with the way they finished the year, Matt Nagy, uh, they got to eight and eight during the playoffs. So I don't know if I don't think they're going to have an opening with the Bears. So who knows? You never say never. But Pat, if anybody seems like they're they're married to his job forever, he's got a good situation there. So yeah, I'm sure maybe there's someone will still want to talk to him and who want to listen. And we've seen some other college coaches get wooed. Dan Mullen, supposedly, with the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, uh, ex-college coach Urban Meyer, maybe the hottest commodity of all, right? Um, who's it going to be, the Jacksonville Jaguars or maybe the San Diego Chargers? So i tell you what, Sean, it's going to be fascinating if he does take an NFL job to see how a guy like that who couldn't hardly even take stomach one loss a year, how, how is he going to deal with maybe going 2-14 and 14 in the NFL? You know, Tom, with the lack of big college jobs open right now, it, it almost feels like these, these agents are using these NFL openings to ensure some of their clients get raises and get extensions right now just because there aren't a lot of those big SEC jobs or Big Ten jobs that typically can get a coach a big raise or extension. Yeah, you're right, and that's probably because of the COVID stuff. Uh, 
not as many coaching changes in college maybe as there typically would have been. And yeah, some of the stuff just maybe agents floating stuff. There may be nothing to it, but I do think uh, there's something to the notion that these NFL owners have become more and more enamored the last, I don't know, Sean, four or five, six years with NFL, with, with college coaches, college offenses and the college quarterbacks, how they're used at that level, where maybe that, that market is really going to be more of a viable, you know, a, a place to shop for NFL teams, guys like Lincoln Riley in particular, you know, maybe more college coaches certainly will be able to make that leap to the NFL if they want. We're talking to Tom Deanhart here. Tom, uh, roster management in college football in the Big Ten is a big storyline as well as everybody gets a free year. And, you know, you've got a lot of these seniors that kind of find themselves in a late round undrafted free agent purgatory where they're they're coming back. Uh, Nebraska's gotten JoJo Dolman back for another year. They're, they're going to probably get a few other key guys back. I'm curious, how's it look on the Purdue front? Are they getting some of these – seniors that are good enough to still start at Purdue, but maybe not quite good enough to get drafted to come back another year? Nobody of that ilk has set a peak, Sean. We were just talking about that today with some of my colleagues. Um, Purdue's had four or five guys here that are leaving. They're not coming back. Uh, they're better. Some of their better seniors, but some of the other guys, there hasn't been a peep. Um, so there's a few guys I'm sure Purdue would love to have come back for an extra year. Um, uh, if they do, I don't know. You know, it's going to be interesting. Like you said, this whole roster management thing is going to be fascinating moving forward, especially with the transfer portal, which you and I watch very closely. Um, boy, uh, I mean, that's going to that, that's become a season upon itself, hasn't it? No doubt. <laughs> You've got your high school, junior college signing days in December and February, but this portal thing, I think every coach is going to want to leave. How many spots open, Sean? Five to, I don't know, five to eight spots just to – for, for, for grabbing guys out of the portal if you need it. So what a dynamic that's really added to the sport. The only thing that's really keeping it from just completely blowing up is that 25 hard cap rule where teams have to count a transfer portal addition as part of their 25-man recruiting classes. Can you imagine if they took the 25 oh, cap rule off? I didn't realize that. So, yeah, that's, that would be crazy if that was the case. So it's, it's really interesting. I know Purdue wants to shop more in the portal. They've got one kid already. They got a guard from Western Kentucky. Um, but, Sean, that's not really even a priority spot for Purdue. They, they got to get eyes on defense to help them right now. And there's no way, Sean, ask yourself this. If you were a defensive player in the portal, you're not going to commit to a school that doesn't even have a coordinator. You don't even know what scheme they're going to run, how you're going to be used, or who your coach is going to be. So I know from a Purdue standpoint, until they get a coordinator hired, they're going to have a hard time getting any defensive guys from the portal to jump on board. Who are they looking at right now? I mean, is there a name that's emerged? As far as – no, not really. Honestly, not, I, I kick a lot of tires every day, sending out texts and DMs to people, some coaches, uh, some agents, and, boy, I've, I've got nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing. I could, I could throw a bunch of names at you, but I can't give you any real ferocity on, on how, how true they, any of these guys really are as candidates. So – no idea. I think with the with the nature of the 2021 season for Purdue, year five for Jeff Brom, three losing years in a row, um, there's a sense of urgency. And, and this is a big hire. This is three defensive coordinators in three years. He can't screw this up. Um, I don't think you can hand the keys to the defense to a neophyte. I think, I think he's got to find somebody with some coaching shops that has done it before. Do you think if they could do it over again, they would have just kept Nick Holt and had him coach in 2020? Yep. I mean, it just seems like 
They got much worse yep. under Bob Diaco. Yep, you're exact. I think I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of people. I was working on the mailbag today, and one of the questions was just that: Should Purdue try to rehire Nick Holt? That's not going to happen. But I think there's some regret. I, I'm guessing maybe there's some regret. You know, sometimes you do things in haste in life. You make a change because it's an easy thing to do. Well, it's easy to fire people, but it's hard to hire good people. And uh, boy, I agree. I mean, Cole, I thought, you know, at Purdue, you're never going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers of 1975 on defense. College football has become such an offensive game now. Even Alabama realizes that. Nick Saban's got an offense that's greater than his defense. And you just have to have a defense that can make some big plays, get off the field on third down, and, and get some takeaways. Um, you're going to give up points and yards. And Purdue's got to always hope to outscore people. So I think what Nick Holt was doing, an aggressive 4-3 defense, was good enough for, for, for Purdue to succeed with the offense that it typically has, too. The only thing that's different sometimes in the Big Ten, I would say, Tom, is uh, the, the weather. I mean, there's going to be that one or two games a year where the, yeah. de- the defense matters and the physicality matters. But other than that, yeah, I mean, you, you're going to – even this year, how late we played into the year – uh, it wasn't that cold this year in a lot of weeks, so you, you could have, you know, you didn't really have to have mm-hmm. one of those ten to seven snow games that we saw a couple of years ago when Nebraska played Michigan State. But don't you agree where it's even more of an offensive game now? I mean, uh, oh yeah, they, they, they you, you talk about the, the Alabama example is always cited a lot. And it makes sense where Lane Kiffin, you know, he got to Tuscaloosa and has sort of convinced Nick Saban, you got it, you got to go offense, offense, offense. Where you know, early on, Saban and Tuscaloosa would win 17-14. to 14. They won with defense and running the football. Well, now, my God, they look almost like the fun gun of Steve Spurrier. Um, we've seen their defense get gashed the last few years, give up yards. Uh, but, boy, they can put points on the board. Look at LSU last year with Joe Burrow. What an offense that was. So, um, bottom line is, if, if you can't score 35 or 40 points a game in college football, I don't care how good your defense is. It's probably not going to be able to keep up and and you, you're going to probably have a struggle to, to have a lot of success. Yeah, I had, I had a defensive coach once tell me the coaches that will run the pro-style, uh, slow-it-down offenses versus maybe the up-tempo, hurry-up things you see now more, uh, those are the coaches that – are you know have a huge ego about their defensive stats and and they they don't they don't want to open it up because they don't want their stats to look bad. Well, <laughs> I understand those offenses put pressure on defenses, but uh, I just think you know first of all fans love it, right? Oh yeah. So there's always going to be there's always going to be a segment that likes the, the the bloody knuckle defensive games, but most most fans like the the pyrotechnics, the the big plays, the crazy catches, the high scores. And it's it's here to stay. I think the rules always have favored the the, the offense for years now, or the, the receivers now are out of sight. Uh, the quarterbacks as well. I mean, you got to build around that offense, and, and if you can, just outscore people. If you have a great defense, fantastic. But again, I think most of these defenses, even the Alabamas, are at times going to get gassed and give up a lot of points and a lot of yards. We've seen it. Well, Tom, I appreciate your time. I hope you're having a good New Year and. And uh, good luck on that coordinator search there. If I hear anything, I'll make sure I let you know. <laughs> you always do. I appreciate it. You're one of the most plugged-in guys that I've ever been associated with in my 30 years, Sean. I appreciate your friendship, and I always love talking. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. When we come back, we'll hear from Robin Washett as Nebraska basketball had their game canceled this week from Purdue. We'll talk to Robin on what's next. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, talking Nebraska basketball now. Um, not a lot to talk about this week, Robin. Um, you know, the Huskers did play Michigan State over the weekend, but their midweek game with Purdue was canceled because of COVID-19 issues. Huskers lost 84-77 to Michigan State in Lincoln on Saturday night. The Tuesday game with Purdue was postponed. They are not back again until Sunday when Indiana comes back to Lincoln. So you'll have a, a good eight, nine-day gap between games. I mean, what, what assess the situation right now for Nebraska basketball. Well, it's hard to know at this point because obviously I mean, they didn't even use the words COVID uh, when the kind of joint statement Purdue and Nebraska put out on Monday evening. Uh, but shortly after that announcement came out, um, one of Purdue's, probably like the media relations team or whatever, uh, tweeted out that they're still fully expecting to play on Friday, uh, their their next game. And so uh, we haven't heard anything from Nebraska on that point. So just those are the only tea leaves to read it would suggest that, you know, maybe the issue uh, for that postponement was on Nebraska's end. So um, still nothing official on that, but obviously uh, the next question is what happens Sunday? Do they play as scheduled or is there uh, an issue big enough that uh, not only was enough to keep Nebraska from traveling out to Purdue, but also potentially, uh, you know, making this uh, a second cancellation. And so there's precedent for this, you know, Penn State, had a game canceled um, this past weekend, I think it was against Wisconsin. And now they had another one uh, postponed as well. So they've had two straight games postponed, probably because of the same issues that, um, you know, maybe Nebraska is dealing with right now. So that's, that's the big question right now. Um, you know, I know that Nebraska is kind of playing it by ear right now. They can continue to go through their testing and, uh, you know, just basically play as if they had an extended built-in break. Um, and you know, hope everything clears out. But at this point, it's just a lot of unknowns. And until we get closer to Sunday, we probably won't have a real idea about just kind of the severity of whatever issue is uh, Nebraska is dealing with right now. Now, Robin, uh, I'd assume in the Big Ten, if you have a positive test, the protocols and the rules are the same. Is it a 21-day layoff as well for basketball? Yeah, that's what happened with uh, Eduardo Andre earlier uh, before the season even started. I mean, obviously, he had uh, he had a test a positive test shortly before uh, they were supposed to open right around Thanksgiving and he didn't end up uh, coming back for another three weeks until uh, just before Christmas break. So uh, that's still the policy. I know people kind of question, you know, if if you bring back negative tests or whatever it may be, do you still have to sit out the full three weeks? But that as of now is still the big tens policy. And so if there are positive tests or a positive test for Nebraska, uh, you're looking at probably a 21 day layoff, beginning uh, at uh, probably Monday because I think those positive tests came back on Monday because on Monday afternoon you know Fred Hoiberg and Derek Walker were up uh, doing a pregame press con- or a, yeah a preview press conference for Purdue you know they sent out a big press release talking about how Derek Walker was going to make his debut against Purdue so as of like Monday morning early afternoon Nebraska was still planning on playing and, and getting ready to leave for West Lafayette and then obviously a few hours later that changed so you would think that if there are positives that clock would start um, no earlier than Monday. You're listening here to the Husker Line show as we talk Nebraska basketball and their COVID-19 or their, their game being canceled. We won't say COVID-19 because it actually hasn't been 
confirmed by Nebraska. <laughs> and, you know, I get it. There's there's medical privacy and other things there, the protection of student athletes, et cetera. But it is it just is so bizarre, Robin, because, um, you know, like you said, I mean, it, you, you talked to all these guys. And I remember I called you on Monday night. I go, are you on this? And, and I mean, it, you were caught completely off guard. Um, and it just kind of goes with the with the season itself. Derek Walker is going to finally get a play. You guys all interview him and get a story ready to roll, and then all of a sudden, boom, um, here we are with no game this week. Yeah, so it's going to be the nature of the season. Like I said, there's already been three postponements uh, within the Big Ten this season, and you know we're barely barely into January. So uh, this is one of the things that you know even Fred Hoiberg was talking about. He said that we're preparing for this to be a complicated, disrupted season that we're just going to try to have to navigate day by day uh, and hope to get as complete of a schedule played as we possibly can. You're already starting to see kind of the hurdles that are going to come up and will continue to come up as you know they try to navigate through 20 league games, um, you know, with, with these types of big uh, COVID-19 pro- protocols in place so it's it's going to be an adventure uh really uh I mean, we've seen cases where teams were literally on the road to go play a road game and, and games have been canceled and um that's probably a realistic scenario that could continue to happen like i said monday afternoon nebraska was getting ready to play and they were talking about playing and you know, holding press conferences and then by early monday evening that game had been postponed so that's how quickly this can happen and it's minute by minute hour by hour going forward uh, all the way through uh, at the end of this year. Well, Sunday, Indiana will come to Lincoln for a 5 o'clock game. Robin, what are you, what's just your early outlook on this matchup, knowing the layoff Nebraska is going to have? Maybe the rest will be good for them, um, but also they could be out, be without some players too. Yeah, that's the big question is you know, who potentially might not Nebraska have at their disposal, uh, You know, assuming that they get Derek Walker back, but but who do they lose? And that's that's a big part of it, but really – you know, uh, Indiana is going to be a tough matchup. You know, they've they kind of underperformed earlier this year, but it seems like uh, they're starting to get their groove back. They just played really well against Rutgers earlier this week. Got a big time win. Uh, and Trace Jackson Davis is one of the best players in the conference, and uh, he he's a guy that can put up 20 and 15 on Nebraska very easily, and he's done so in the past. And I think the past couple times they played him uh, last season, even uh, he went off and had significant double-double performances and uh, he that's where it starts with trying to beat Indiana but uh, their guard play has been much better than it was a year ago and uh, you know, like I said they're, they're kind of starting to hit their stride a little bit so uh, you got to hope that Nebraska is as close to full strength as possible because they're going to need all hands on deck and try to finally put together 40 minutes of quality basketball and avoid those second half letdowns where close games turn into double figure deficits and until they can do that it doesn't matter who they're going to play uh they're not going to have much of a chance against anyone did the michigan state loss at least kind of show you like all right there are some flashes of what this team can be but then there continues to be flashes of why nebraska hasn't won a conference game in over a year yeah i mean so if the ohio state game was two steps back uh the michigan state game was a step forward so Kind of they're they're right where they were before that Ohio State game, which is a team that shows they can compete with most any team in the Big Ten for 20, 30 minutes. But there's always that spurt in the second half, whether it's right out of the gates or uh, you know midway through, where things just kind of fall apart on Nebraska and they they lose all their confidence offensively. They let their offensive struggles affect their defense. 
and uh, the other teams kind of smell blood and, and put the game away. And you know, Michigan State, uh, Nebraska was right with them, you know, up until, you know, really the end of the first half. And then something happened, and you know, they turned a, a seven-point lead into a 17-point lead right out of the gates. Uh, to start the second half, and you know, at least this time Nebraska was able to battle back and make it a two-possession game. But if you put yourself in that type of hole against anyone in this league, with the Big Ten being what it is, top to bottom, I mean, you're not going to stand a chance. And that's just where Nebraska's been all year, and really against any quality opponent they've played is they just haven't been able to do it, play well enough, long enough. And like I said, that's if you sit there and try to beat teams that only play in 30 minutes, uh, good luck. Well, Nebraska basketball scheduled Sunday against Indiana, 5 o'clock game on the Big Ten Network. Make sure you're on Husker Online as Robin Washett uh, will have complete coverage here leading up to that game on Sunday. When we come back, we'll close the show with recruiting talk with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we're talking some recruiting, and and usually, Nate, this is a very, very busy time uh, with recruiting, not only just tying up loose ends for the class of uh, 2021, uh, but also getting a jump on 2022, and we talked about this last week, not a lot of that's going on on either side of the fence for Nebraska um, who is in the dead period, like everybody else in that dead period. Uh, just give us an idea. What is the, the dead period situation right now? What do you know um, as to maybe what's next? Well, yeah, mid-fall, the dead period had been extended through the end of January, and now it has been extended through April 15th. And um, for people that follow recruiting closely, you know that April 15th is generally – the the start of the spring evaluation period. So I think right now the hope is that the the dead period gets lifted on April 15th and and that uh, you know coaches are going to be able to to hit the recruiting trail and and start going by schools and and you know conducting their normal spring evaluation period between April 15th and the end of May. But um, you know with the way the that the NCAA has kind of been, um, you know, handling this. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they went ahead and extended the the dead period past April 15th. So just kind of went in a, in a holding pattern right now, waiting to see what happens. But you know, you're right. You're, this this month of January, especially, is going to be very strange with no coaches on the road. You know, obviously, no in-home visits taking place, no junior days, none of that thing that we're that we're typically used to to seeing happen. Now, uh, Nate, there is still one key 2021 prospect out there for Nebraska, at least that we know of, and, and that's Omaha Westside's Avante Dickerson. I know Avante has been pretty quiet, really, from the get-go on his recruiting, but things still look pretty promising for Nebraska on that one, that there's a chance still, and that's going to be probably what we'll be watching here for the entire month. Yeah, I mean, for as far as the 2021 class goes, it's it's Avante Dickerson, and you know, there's probably there's a couple names on on the periphery, you know, that that I think Nebraska may still you know be keeping in touch with or or maybe keeping warm, but for the most part, it's it's all Avante Dickerson. That's that's kind of where the focus is, and um, you know, you're right, he's been very very quiet about uh, his recruiting process in general. And that dates, you know, far past just here over the last month or so. I mean, that goes all the way back to before he even committed to, to Minnesota. So 
Um, you know, but we, as we know, he didn't sign in the early period and uh, decided to, to push it back to February. And, uh, and I think that's kind of left the door open for Nebraska a little bit. And, and we know that they're still, they're still working that plenty hard. And, um, you know, it would be kind of the cherry on top of the 2021 class if they were able to go ahead and secure his letter of intent come the first Wednesday in February and, and uh, you know, keep one of the best players in the state at home. Nate, you uh, do a pretty good job of just tracking the Twitter activity of the coaching staff, of the recruiting staff at Nebraska. How active has this staff been and the recruiting staff just on transfer entries? When you see a high-profile guy like Rambo from Oklahoma enter the portal and other names like that, do you notice a lot of activity from the Nebraska staff on some of these transfers right now as well? Because that's a big piece of it as well in recruiting. Yeah, it is a huge piece of it. I mean, the the transfer portal – has become another avenue um, to to gain players to your to your roster to add players to your roster. I mean, you got high school prospects, you got junior college prospects. Now you have the transfer portal, and um, you know from from what I can tell, just from being a, a Twitter sleuth, uh, you know the the recruiting office in particular is working very very hard. As soon as as soon as any new name goes in the transfer portal. Uh, you can you can see that the the recruiting office, um, you know the the player personnel directors up there in, in North Stadium. Uh, I mean they're they're following those bigger names almost immediately on Twitter, and um, you know and and I think that's smart. You've got to uh, you know when there's a big name, when there's a talent that could potentially you know upgrade your roster, you have to you have to explore you know why they're in the transfer portal. You have to see. You know, try to try to figure out what their story is. See if it might be a fit for your roster. See if the numbers work out at that position, so on and so forth. And um, you know, and then from there, from the the recruiting office guys, you're seeing some of the assistant coaches then follow some of these players too. So, uh, but but the, the main, uh, you know, the majority of the activity is is taking place uh, from the the guys that work in the recruiting office. Nate, Nebraska's had two. I would call traditional entries. I don't count Bo Wilson as a traditional transfer portal entry, but Keem Green and then Matthew Anderson, the most recent one. I talked about Matthew at the top of the show. Uh, Nebraska had a log jam when you look at just the freshman linemen uh, with the redshirt freshman and the true freshman and then the free year of eligibility. It appeared he was kind of the odd man out. I mean, are you surprised a guy like Anderson just didn't pan out? Uh, but it, it, it looked like just he couldn't add weight. I mean, it was a guy that – came in at 250 and I'm not sure he's even 250 right now or he's barely over it at this point. Yeah, I'm not overly surprised. Um, you know, I think when Nebraska took his commitment, I mean, he he was they took him as as a project. They took him as somebody um, where they knew, you know, it was going to be two or three years before he was able to to hopefully develop into somebody who could, you know, maybe get into too deep or, or, or see the field uh, because he, he was nothing but potential. A big, you know, 6'6", 250 pounds, had a tremendous frame, very athletic kid. Um, but, you know, some guys develop quicker than others. And, um, you know, in Matthew Anderson's case, you know, it was, it was kind of a slow ride. And, and you know, I think that he's kind of, you know, seen seen the writing on the wall, so to speak. I think Nebraska, in general, has recruited the offensive line position very, very well over the past uh, you know two or three years, and and there's been a handful of those guys that have kind of passed Matthew Anderson, and um, you know, and and he had he had a bunch of other personal things happen, you know, in the year leading up to to him arriving in Nebraska too, with the the passing of his mother from cancer, and um, you know, and and I just think that. 
Um, you know, this is, was a deal where he kind of saw that it was going to be very, very hard to, to see the field and maybe decided that he would try his luck elsewhere. As we wrap it up here and, and talk more, uh, Nate, when, when you look at just that offensive line approach now, I mean, you just get the sense that when Nebraska was recruiting and building that line, they're like, we're going to get as many big bodies as we possibly can. We're smart enough to know not everyone's going to work out. And then at this point, you know, some of them are just going to have to go their own way. And that's kind of what's happening. And I wouldn't be surprised, Nate, if maybe another offensive lineman or two ended up hitting the portal between now and the summertime. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. You know, and like I mentioned, they, they've, that's a position where they've recruited very, very well. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that Matthew Anderson's a bad player. If there are a couple other guys that from the offensive line that decide to, to enter the portal, it doesn't mean they're, they're bad. But I think what we've seen is, there's a lot of talented, young, talented guys um, in that in that position room, and uh, you know they've they've kind of they've kind of the cream has kind of risen to the top, and and uh, you know if if you're sitting there as a as a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore, and you're being passed up by some younger guys, and, and you know it looks like it's going to be a long road to seeing the field, you know that's that's kind of what the transfer portal is all about. It's it's about trying to find another opportunity. Um, somewhere else where you can maximize your eligibility. Well, lots to keep up with here on both Husker uh, transfer portal activity and recruiting as well as basketball. Make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 